Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. The West Huntsville Church of Christ at Providence is located at 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. Anytime you're in the Huntsville area, we hope you'll stop in and be part of our worship. Sunday morning worship is at 9 o'clock, with Bible class immediately following. Sunday evening worship is at 5. Midweek Bible study is held Wednesdays at 7. All the time. God is good all the time. You know, I hope that you'll take a little time in your life to, to think about and reflect upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. You know, we are faced with many, many things in life, but as we sit down and contemplate our lives and what all God has done for us, uh, we realize the goodness. The Bible says every good gift and every perfect gift is from above comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no uh, shadow of turning. God is good, and He blesses us. He, he, he is with us through our difficult moments. Um, some of you have been asking about Dixie, and I want to give you a little update. Dixie failed uh, July the 13th uh, in the kitchen as she was mopping the thing, and my beautiful and sweet wife... Uh, her feet shot out from under her, and she went down real hard, very hard, bruised herself up going down, hitting cabinets and so forth. And, and, uh, but I, we carried her to the emergency room and all, and they told us they x-rayed, no broken bones, no broken, the chest areas complete. She was having trouble breathing. They, no, nothing there. Everything was fine, they said. Well, I had her back in, in that interval uh, four trips to the ER. I mean, it, it, she just couldn't get better and in such pain, such pain. Well, just yesterday afternoon, about this time, just about 4.30, 4, 4, 4.30, they, uh, we had, I had insisted that they do an MRI and a, and a CT scan. And both of those tests showed that she had broken her back. And so she has, um, um, it's a compound compression fracture of the T12 vertebrae. So if you would, Dixie's been in great, great pain, and she's in pain now, so please pray for her. Uh, uh, I'm taking her to a surgeon tomorrow morning at 945, and hopefully they'll be able to do something to help her. But um, she loves all of you, and, and uh, I know she would definitely want you praying for her. Well, I'm filling in for a great teacher, a man I love and admire, Brother James Andrews is on the road, and, and he told me a while back, he said, I don't know exactly when I'm going to be gone. And he said, so, but he said, I'm going to get you to fill in. And so I just, I told Dixie, I said, yeah, he'll want me to teach the, uh, the thing that I would do, I don't do, and that which I would do, I, won't, I don't do, I do what I, you know, I said, that's what James is going to want me to teach. But it didn't fall out that way. Uh, he asked me to teach uh, Romans chapter 6. And that's what we're on tonight. Uh, tonight is an exciting uh, chapter in our study of Romans. Romans is a difficult book in many, many ways. Paul deals with some weighty matters. Uh, you could say of his uh, writings that they were weighty and meaty. There are a lot of meat in, in what Paul had to say. Um, and... Uh, as we, as we look at the book of Romans, uh, 
the theme of Romans is justification by faith. And uh, faith, of course, in Christ Jesus. Romans also focuses on the holiness of the believer. And um, Romans 1.16, of course, is maybe your, one of your key verses in the entire book where Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God uh, unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And, uh, uh, and, and justification is dealt with. James dealt with chapter 5 uh, just before vacation Bible school. And uh, uh, chapter 5 is uh, also amazingly wonderful chapter. Uh, and it talks about just being justified, justification, and uh, reconciliation. You know, sometimes when I'm overseas and I'm preaching in that setting in third world countries, I sometimes will say, hey, hey. I said, I'm a, I'm a preacher of reconciliation. You can be reconciled to God in and through Jesus Christ. And you see each one of us in this class tonight, that's what we're, we should be seeking is reconciliation. James did a marvelous job in talking about uh, ju being justified and reconciliation. I, I was doing some reading recently, and Dan Winkler, in his book on Romans, and I like this, I really like this, it's a play on words, but he said the word justified indicates that I can live just if I'd never sinned. Justified just as if I'd never sinned. I like that. Because that's what justification is. Uh, if we live just as if we've never sinned, we can be at peace with God. And what a joy. And, what, and, and that's the, James was talking about the hope that we have and, and, and see. But being justified means that we are at peace with God. Uh, Brother Andrews taught us that divine approval fills us with hope. And we could spend a long time, I heard Brother Glenn Colley years ago preach about hope. And, um, and, and, and certainly hope is something that one of the saddest things in the world is to meet individuals that have no hope. They're without hope. Uh, they are basically sad people. Uh, they are people that uh, find life... Uh, in many instances, miserable because they have no hope, uh, the hope that uh, Romans 5 and 4 speaks of. Chapter 5 teaches us that we have joy in God. And so we talk about peace, we talk about hope, we talk about joy. The ground of rejoicing uh, is the reconciliation that is affected by Jesus Christ. Reconciliation comes in and through Jesus Christ. Romans 5 teaches us that we rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, whom we have now received the reconciliation. Reconciliation means to be reconciled. We were the enemies of God. We were rebels. We were under divine displeasure. And through Christ and his blood, we have obtained forgiveness 
through faith. Through Christ, through his blood, through faith. Uh, we're saved uh, by our faith and the grace of God is applied to our lives when we have the kind of faith that God wants us to have and, and the kind of faith the Bible speaks of. As we talk about the, the displeasure of God, it is through Christ and His blood that we obtain forgiveness through faith. God is not reconciled to us, but we are reconciled to Him. Now, that is an important statement. God is not reconciled to us, we are reconciled to Him. And there are many people who live out here in the world who feel like that it's just the other way around. That God needs to be reconciled to them rather than them being reconciled to God. Reconciliation means to unite and to make friends again. Don't we need to be united with God, to be reunited to make friends with him. Our sins have separated us from God. And if I were to say, is there anyone in this auditorium that is without sin, just raise your hand. I don't believe a hand would go up in this auditorium. And if it did, uh, somebody would, somebody's not thinking. Well, you know, uh, I was speaking in Russia years ago. And I said to the audience, I asked the audience, I was speaking to about 500 Russians at one of the universities over there. And I said, uh, if you're without sin, I said, just raise your hand. And this big, tall, heavy-set guy, he raised his hand. I looked up there in the audience, I said, well, I said, there's a man with his hand up. I said, well, and I said, you know, the scripture would say he's a liar and the truth's not in him. <laughs> and, and, of course, he, the guy said, woo, woo, he laughed, you know. But, you know, we're all sinners. All of us have sinned. All of us need to be reunited with God. We all need reconciliation. And, and that's the need of every person in our class tonight. It means, uh, being reconciled means making friends with God again. Our sins separate us from God. Reconciliation reunites us, making us once again friends with Him. Now, it is through Christ that we have justification, Romans chapter 4, verse 25. We have peace with God, Romans 5, 1. We have access to grace, Romans 5, 2. We have salvation from God's wrath, and that's found in Romans 5, 9. We have reconciliation, Romans 5, 10, and 11. And then we have eternal life, Romans 5, verse 21. Now, James covered those points in beautiful ways, and we're thankful for his... Uh, his uh, teaching and, and the things that he's presented to us thus far. But in chapter 6, Paul stressed the need to live righteously. Chapter 6 is broken down really into two parts or two sections. Paul teaches that Christians are dead to sin and alive to God. That's in verses 1 
through 14 of chapter 6. Paul points out Christians go uh, from being slaves to sin to being slaves of God, and that's in verses 15 through 23 of this great chapter. Now let's pick up at, at verse 1. Romans 6, 1 says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? In verse 2 he says, Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Now, I like the way it says, certainly not. Uh, that's kind of like saying it's absurd to even think that way. He didn't just say no. He said, certainly not. Gene, if I was speaking, I'd say, certainly not. I mean, you know, put some stress on, certainly not. Don't, don't be ridiculous. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Paul emphasizes that the justified are not to continue to live in sin. If one dies to sin, he can't live in it. Now think about that for a minute. If one dies to sin, he cannot live in it. In chapter 5, we studied justification Justification, verse 1, refers to the justification by faith. Justified means really what Brother Dan Winkler was suggesting, just as if I have never sinned. Justified uh, is the, it, this is the man who, to whom God will not impute sin that we studied about in Romans chapter 4. There is a man to whom God will not impute sin. Now, I don't know about you, but I want to be that man. A man that God will not impute sin? How wonderful is that? And that comes when one is justified. Justification. It's just as though we have never sinned. Now, in chapter 5, we studied how we have peace with God. And that, that peace with God comes in and through Jesus Christ. Now, I'm speaking to mostly Christians here tonight. I don't know the whole makeup of the audience. But all through the years, we know how important. It's, it's just, you've got to be in Christ. And so many of the blessings that we talk about Spiritual blessings, they are in Christ, or they come through Christ. And if you're not in Christ, uh, you're not going to receive those blessings. So, we have studied how we rejoice in hope, and uh, enjoying the glory of God in heaven, and how hope, hope belongs to those who are justified. Uh, who have the hope of salvation and eternal life. Now, we noticed in Romans 5, 10 and 11, that we have been reconciled through the death of Christ. The justified received the reconciliation. Romans 5, 10, let's read that. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. 
verse 11. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation, being justified by grace through faith. Romans 3, 24 and 25. Now, it's pretty obvious that Paul thought that some that he was writing to and speaking to it on that occasion, that they might misuse grace as a license to sin. And that's exactly what many in our world today are doing. They're using grace as a license to sin. Well, since there's so much grace, it's by faith we're saved through, and we, the grace of God we have the grace of God through our faith, well then, we can just sin. He anticipated some saying basically this, there are no restraints. We can live as we choose. God's grace will take care of us. Romans 6, 1. Paul poses a question in verse 1. He says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? That is, can we continue in sin after conversion? Can a Christian keep living the way he did before becoming a Christian? After all, there's God's grace. Are we, are, are we to say that God's grace is limited? And, and surely God's grace will save. And so Paul is addressing this issue. He knew that it would probably be a problem then, and it's certainly a problem today because some think that way. But Paul answers, as I mentioned earlier in, in verse 2, he says, certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Now the question is, why not? The Christian has died to sin and he cannot live in it if he's dead to it. The answer that Paul gives is emphatic. The thought is abhorrent and impossible from the very nature of the Christian life. The Christian life begins with our death to sin. Now, how shall we who died to sin live any longer therein? B.W. Johnson, in his commentary, he states this. He says, the Greek verb is in the past tense. A fact is referred to that occurred in the past. Death is a separation. When we severed our relationship with sin, we died to it. If we have cut loose from it, how can we continue in it? And I thought Brother Johnson's comments was, was good. But let's look at verse 3 and 4. Or do you not know that as many, of, uh, as many of us as were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? How do we get into the death of Christ? Well, according to this text, we're baptized into his death. Some people say, oh, baptism is not important. Well, it is if you want to get into Christ and you want to get into his death. 
So he says here in this text, we're baptized into Christ and we're baptized into his death. Now, Romans 6, 4 says, therefore we were buried with him. It doesn't say, therefore we were sprinkled with him. I was brought up as a child and a young boy in a religious setting that that taught sprinkling. And I can remember when I began to study for my own self and looking the scriptures to find out the truth, I was convinced that sprinkling was fine. I said, I'll prove it. I said, I'll, I'll, I'll show this guy that a man named V.P. Black was preaching. I said, I'll show Mr. Black a thing or two. Some of you may know V.P. Black. He was one of the greatest preachers in our brotherhood. I mean, he was an outstanding gospel preacher. I said, I'll show him. Well, you won't find people being sprinkled for baptism. It's just not there. You're not sprinkled into Christ. You're baptized into Christ. Baptism is a burial, as is taught in this verse. Let's read it. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into what? Into his death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we, even so, we also should walk in newness of life. We're raised from the watery grave of baptism to walk in newness of life. Paul is dealing with the possibility that those addressed might not understand that they had died to their sins and that it was that death came in and through the act of baptism. Do we understand that today? What about the man or the woman uh, who is baptized and he or she never misses a lick? They continue right on with their sins. For instance, let me illustrate it this way. Four days prior to their baptism, they were drinking and getting drunk and they were committing adultery. Four days after their baptism, they were drinking and getting drunk and committing adultery. Well, what in the world has happened here? Well, I'll tell you what happened. Somebody got dunked. They didn't get baptized. They just got dunked in water. You see, when you're baptized into Christ, you die a death. That's what this burial is all about. An individual dies to sin. You take the dead man, the old man, the sinner. Now, how does he die to sin? He repents. You take the man who has repented and who has properly confessed Christ, and you take him because he's dead. He's died to sin. You bury him in the watery grave of baptism. And then he's raised to walk in newness of life. Now notice, to walk in newness of life. He is a new man. 
He is a changed man. He, ha- he is different than he was prior to his baptism. Now, such an individual that, that never misses a lick in sin, they were never converted. Conversion demands repentance. Luke 13.3 and, and Luke 13.5 says, I tell you nay, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Apparently, there are a lot of folks who have never really been converted because they never really repented. And you know, lots of times in life today, uh, we, we see this happening in many places. I, I know in, in, in the foreign settings that I work in, in, in some of the third world countries of the world, we sometimes see individuals who do that type thing. But Paul is stressing you must die to sin. And some of our older preachers, I'm beginning to be one of them, but some of our older preachers used to say, uh, you got to get out of the sinning business. That's what conversion is all about. A death must occur before baptism. A death to what? A death to sin. And it must be through genuine repentance. And I use the word genuine. It has to be genuine repentance. And Acts 17.30 says, Truly the time, these, these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now He commands all men everywhere to repent because He has appointed a day on which He will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom He hath ordained, whereof He hath given assurance unto all men in that He hath raised Him from the dead. Baptism that isn't preceded by faith and genuine repentance and confession is nothing more than a meaningless dunk in water. Now, some, sometimes people say that baptism... I, uh, Tony, I, I've had this happen many times. I'll, I'll, be, I'll be at a place holding a gospel meeting or doing mission work or whatever, and somebody will tell me, they'll say, they'll say, Brother DeMar said, they'll say, Bob here. Excuse me if there's a Bob out here, but just using that as a name. Bob here, Bob here, uh, baptism is holding Bob back. I say, really? Yeah, you, you need to talk to him about baptism, Brother DeMar. Baptism is holding Bob back. We've got to get Bob past this baptism thing because baptism is holding Bob back from his salvation. Do you know what I've learned in 59 years as a gospel preacher? The end, Don, the end thing is it's not baptism holding Bob back. It's repentance. It's repentance. You see... Bob doesn't have a problem with baptism. Bob has a problem with repentance because Bob knows in order to be baptized, he's supposed to repent. And when you repent, Bob's got to give up his drinking. He loves his beer. Bob knows that if he's baptized, he's got to give up his adultery. He's cheating on his wife. He's running around with this one and that one and committing adultery. 
Baptism isn't holding Bob back. Bob's a cheater, and he's a thief, and he doesn't want to give up that stealing and, and cheating. Baptism isn't holding Bob back. We find out maybe Bob's a liar, and the truth's not in him. He knows if he becomes a Christian, he's got to stop lying and cheating. And we could go on and on, couldn't we? But maybe I've said enough to illustrate the point. Sometimes, oh, many, many times over the years, Brother DeMar, baptism is holding sisters, I mean, not sister, but holding whatever the lady's name is, this, this lady holding her back, say Judy, uh, no, 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 nobody reference here, but holding Judy back and, and, or holding Bob back. And I've learned that it's really this, see, repentance is the challenge. If we're going to be baptized and we're going to go right back three or four days later and get drunk and we're going to go right back and commit adultery and we're going to just keep on doing the same thing we've always done, there was no conversion. There was no death. And that individual, and that's what the beauty of Romans chapter 6, oh, listen, it's a beautiful chapter. You know, Paul taught some weighty things and he taught some difficult things. James has already mentioned. This, this Romans, it can be, it can get real, you know. But this is so abundantly clear. It, it's so obvious. Baptism has to be preceded by repentance, has to be preceded by confession. And um, repentance is, is the problem with many people. In 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, there it is again, Underscore that, in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. The old sinner is basically what? Somebody just tell me. What's happened to the old sinner? He's dead. He's gone. I mean, he's a dead man. And... Uh, and so that without that, you don't have true conversion. Uh, he doesn't exist any longer. How does one get into Christ? Verse 3 states, we're baptized into Christ. We're baptized into his death. How do we get into the death of Christ? The text states that we're baptized into that death. When one is converted, he dies to his old ways. He dies to his sinful practices. And, it's, and that's through repentance. He no longer can, he, listen to this statement. Paul is saying he no longer can sin. And you say, wait a minute now, Brother Demar. Think about that. You, are you saying we can't, after we become Christian, we can't sin at all? Paul is, what Paul has in mind here, we, yes, we can sin, can't we? But the difference is we will not practice sin. There is a difference in sinning and there is a difference in practicing sin. Major difference. You see, as a Christian, when we do sin, and we will sin, we're human beings. But what will we do? We will immediately be sorry. We will immediately repent. We'll confess that sin and we'll, we'll make whatever, we'll take whatever steps are necessary to correct that. Because, why? Because we're not that old man that lived back there. He's dead. We're new. We're a new creation. But we will not practice sin. 
This is the man, and, and, and by the way, this is the man that will not practice sin. That's the man that God will not impute sin to. The man who will not practice sin, the grace of God comes into his life, and God does not impute sin. That is, the word impute means to chalk up or to mark up against. God will not mark up against an individual who has truly repented, properly confessed, been immersed as the Bible commands. They obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine that had been delivered to them and were raised to walk in newness of life. And that person is striving and, and, and trying to live the Christian life. God's grace and mercy comes in and he will not impute sin to that man. And that, I don't know what that does to you, but that, is, uh, that, has, that has always excited me to the nth degree that by God's grace, when he is applying his grace, he will not impute sin to the man who has, who has the right kind of faith and has done the right things. Romans 6, 5, 5 and 6 for if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. So, baptism, and if we had a, if we had a PowerPoint, we, we, all of you have seen the, the various pictures on Romans chapter 6. You, here's a man, here's a sinner, and he shows his death, and here's a watery grave, the baptistry, and he's baptized, he's raised to walk in newness of life. Um, so we're saved by grace through faith. You see, there it is. We're saved by grace through faith. Proper faith uh, on man's part. Man plays a part in his salvation. That's why the Bible says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. We play a part in our salvation. And I love, boy, I love Glenn's sermon about washing your, your robes. I mean, we've got a, uh, I love that sermon he preached just recently here. Uh, that, that we, we've got a responsibility to wash our robes. How do you do that? In the blood of the Lamb. In this, that's Romans chapter 6, you better get your robe washed th uh, through this water baptism because that symbolizes getting into the blood of Jesus Christ. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. So, the old man is crucified. He is put to death. Now the question is, why? That the body of sin might be done away with. Well, we ask again, why? That we should no longer be slaves of sin. And so Paul is now moving in. He's going to be moving in just shortly, showing how that we were once... These Romans, uh, the, these people in the, in the first century, all of these, and us today, we were once sinners. We were once slaves to sin. But now, as Christians, we become slaves to righteousness and holiness. The man who has died to sin, he is free from sin. If he takes the step, or the steps that Jesus requires to get into Christ. Romans 6, 8, now if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Do we believe that? If we died with him, we shall also live with him. 
Now, verses 9 through 14, they're self-explanatory. But we'll make a little comment, but we've got to get on through those because my time's going to run out here before, uh, before we get to the end, I'm afraid. But let's pick up at verse 9. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Verse 12, therefore do not, look at that, therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body. That you, may, that you should obey it in its lust. Verse 13, And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Now, verse 12 says, Don't let sin reign in your mortal body. Now, verse 13 says, do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness. Oops. Oops. Does that verse say do not? Or those two verses? You know, some folks, they don't, they don't, they don't believe in do not. We've got tremendous, uh, a large population of people today in our world that you say do not. Man, they, you've lost them. Do not is a, that's not a part of their vocabulary. But the Bible, their places throughout the Bible, God's word says, do not do so and so. Romans six fourteen. for sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. Now, Paul is dealing with people who were, had been under the law and, been a part of the law, and of course, some some of these at Rome uh, had not uh, that did not particularly apply to them totally. But in verses fifteen through twenty three, Paul discusses how these Christians they were once slaves to sin, and how they became slaves to righteousness. He says basically he's saying so from slaves of sin to slaves of righteousness. Now. Maybe we need to slow down and just ask this question. Ask yourself, and you be honest, are you a slave of righteousness? I had a man years ago, we were talking about some of these issues, and, and he said this, and he meant it. He said, I'll tell you one thing. He said, I'm not a slave to anybody. I'm nobody's slave. And I thought, how sad. How sad. I am a slave, and I'm so thrilled to, to be a slave. I, I have thankfulness in my heart that I'm a slave to God and to Jesus Christ. And we ought to all rejoice in being slaves. Paul is saying here uh, in this great, great chapter, you're slaves to whom you obey. You're his servants whom you obey. If you obey the devil and follow his lead in unrighteousness and ungodliness, you're a slave to sin and to ungodliness. 
If you obey God and accept him and follow him, you're a slave to holiness, to righteousness, to goodness in your life. Verse 15, he says, What then shall we sin because we are not under law, but under grace? And again he says, certainly not. Verse 15 is basically worded just a little bit different, but basically the same thing that Paul started this chapter out with. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? He says, certainly not. Now, verse 15, shall, shall we sin because we're not under the law but under grace? He says, certainly not. Don't be absurd. That's ridiculous to think that way. Paul basically poses the question that he started out with in this chapter. The answer is the same, certainly not. In verse 16 and 17, Paul points out that we are slaves to whom we obey. Now, these Christians, they had once obeyed the devil. When they served him, they were his slaves. They, they then obeyed from the heart the doctrine of Christ, which had been delivered to them, and became slaves of God. They became slaves to righteousness. Paul stated in Romans chapter 1, verses 18 to 32, the condition and, and some of the sins practiced by those who were practicing, and I use the word practicing, unrighteousness. I want us to take time, and, and of course, we, uh, I hope we don't run out of time, but turn over to... Uh, chapter 1, Romans 1, and let's pick up here. You need to see what these people were practicing. And, and, he, and he's saying here in these verses the shame and the fruit that came from that. And so let's, let's, let's go back to chapter 1, verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were they thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. They changed the glory of the incorruptible God into the image made like unto corruptible man. And birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness. In the lust of their hearts to dishonor their, uh, their bodies among themselves. Who exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator. Who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. For even when their women exchanged the natural use for what was against nature, likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another, men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error which was due them. Now let me pause in that reading and, and just inject this. I get real put out when I hear people say, well, the Bible doesn't condemn homosexuality. <laughs> they haven't read the book of Romans. They haven't read other places. They haven't, 
uh, they haven't uh, examined the Word of God very far because the Bible condemns that kind of sinful action. And, that, and, and Paul is talking about in Romans chapter 6 the, the shame of those kinds of sins. All right, let's pick back up here. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do the things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, listen to this, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, un, uh, who knowing the righteous judgment of God. Now here, the Bible is speaking of the, in, in Romans, he's talking about the righteous judgment of God. That those who practice, now underscore the word practice, those who practice such things are deserving of what? Death, that's right, brother. Deserving of death. Not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. And so, it's very obvious that the wrath of God will come down upon those who are slaves uh, to these ungodly and wicked deeds. God's wrath will uh, come down upon those who are slaves of sin and not slaves uh, uh, to righteousness, those who are slaves of unrighteousness. I knew that bell was going to catch us. But now let me mention this. The very antithesis of the things that we've just read uh, is being true of those who are slaves of righteousness. You've got the antithesis means from one extreme to the other, from one end to the other. And verse 18, and having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. Those who died to sin, they were buried in water for the remission of their sins. They were raised to new lives, to live a life of righteousness and holiness. Now, what is the end of being a slave to righteousness and holiness? The end, Paul is saying to them, is everlasting life. Paul closes this chapter in verse 23. He says, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Now listen to it. In Christ Jesus our Lord. Where is eternal life? In Christ Jesus. How do you get into Christ? You're baptized into Christ. You're baptized into his death. Now the wages of sin... Paul is saying the teaching from God is the wages of sin is death. And the gift of God is eternal life. Now, we are free moral agents. And that means we can choose. We can choose to live ungodly, wicked lives. But we better realize something. A payday is coming. And the wages for that kind of life is death. But then... The wages of righteousness and holiness is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 1, 16 and 17, Paul, is, he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God. He says, in it, 
That is the gospel of Christ. The righteousness of God is revealed. So we learn in the gospel of Christ how to live this righteous and godly life. And the Bible says here in Romans, he says, the just shall live by faith. Now, I, I need to close. I, I heard the bell. Let me, let me say this. You know the teacher for this course is a man I love greatly, Brother James Andrews. And out of honor and respect for Brother James, I just know he would want me to say to you as we close this class, don't run in the hall. We hope you have enjoyed this lesson from God's Word. If you would like to continue your study of New Testament Christianity, please send your name and address to World Bible School, West Huntsville Church of Christ, 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. Or if you prefer, send your name and address by email to wbs at westhuntsville.org.